Welcome to the I Crush Barbecue Show. I'm your host, Abe Delgado. Last week, we announced our first giveaway while paying tribute to the Texas Monthly New Top 25 Barbecue Joints. Congratulations to all that made the list. It's an incredible feat considering all the new joints that have opened up. I'd like to thank everyone that participated. It was fun checking out all of the different responses. Our random app picked the winner, and the winner is Mr. Dave Peterson. His handle is... Dave Peterson spelled backwards. You've won the $50 lunch at your choice of any of the top 25 barbecue joints on that list. So I'll reach out. We'll get squared away. Congratulations. Okay, on to regular business here. In this episode, I sit with Eric Wesh of Fat Stack Smokers, one of the premier pit builders in the country. They've played a critical role in the barbecue boom that California has been experiencing over the past few years. Their customers include Trudy's Underground Barbecue, Moosecraft Barbecue, the Barbacoa Boys, the Offset Barbecue, Beer Run Barbecue, Flat Point Barbecue. There's too many to mention. Eric is an artist with the Welder's Torch. This ex-welding instructor is putting out some incredible pits and is always looking for ways to innovate. During my visit, I was lucky enough to see a hybrid model he was working on for a special request. Take a peek on his Instagram at Fat Stack Smokers. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Fat Stack Smokers. Yeah, sound good? Sounds good. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have him like do like some random welds, you know. <laughs> Sounds great, man. Well I'm sitting here with Eric Wesh of Fat Stack Smokers, one of the premier pit builders in hell, probably all of the country. You guys ship these out. Everywhere from, you know, right down the street to Abu Dhabi, man. We we ship them all over. Yeah, well thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is this is great. Yeah, we've been trying to get this together for a while. Finally, yeah, finally. Yeah, finally got it together, man. Meeting of the minds. Yeah, man. This is uh, this is so interesting to me because whenever I first moved here, one of the first stops I or actually the first barbecue stop that I made underground was was with Moosecraft. I think I met you there. I think that's where I first met you. You were in his backyard, right? Like, you were hanging out. Oh, no. So, at Moose, he was having a pop-up at Triangle Brewery. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's where... I think I think I saw you there for the first time. Yeah. And then I did Trudy's was my second stop. And okay. uh, yeah. that's where I met Steve. Right. Yeah. So, that was the second Fat Stack. And I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> Fat Stack Smoker, Fat, fat Stack Smokers. And yeah. Like, all right. We're everywhere. <laughs> everywhere here. So I'm like, man, I can't wait to get them on the show. And now that I follow you on Instagram um, and see all of the really cool pits that you guys put out, it seems like it just they just keep getting cooler and better and better. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. That's yeah. the, that's the yeah. idea. You know, I, I feel like I, I learn something every time I, I pick up the welder and make a new one. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always trying to improve. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's start from the beginning. First of all, um, are you a, a Cali guy? Did you are you born and raised here? Or no, I'm a transplant. Uh, like like a lot of people in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I grew up in the Midwest originally. I, I grew up just outside of Detroit, um, in the suburbs. W- was born and raised there, uh, and then kind of picked up. Started started sort of my fascination with barbecue at a super young age. Um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all very seasonal there, right? Because it gets super cold in the winter. So you got mm-hmm. like three months tops uh, to barbecue. And and uh, my dad, like a, a lot of, you know, people in the Midwest, like fancied himself a pit master. Uh, he was, I mean, he was horrible. Uh, I'll just say that right up front. He didn't know, he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, but he tried and he was super enthusiastic about it. And it kind of, that enthusiasm kind of caught in me when I was little, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it was really about, you know, even though the food wasn't great, it was like, it was always no matter no matter what he did on the barbecue, it would just it would be this occasion for everybody to just suddenly be together. It was one of the few times that actually like the whole family and then even like neighbors and other extended family members and people would would show up and it would just be this community experience. Mm-hmm. And it was just so cool that, that that always struck me as something like I really wanted to be a part of. So I started messing around with like you know like a Weber kettle and stuff and just like whatever whatever I could get my hands on. I think in high school and college, um, and I, I went to college in uh, New Orleans. 
Oh, okay. And that, that was my first time actually making it into the South. And, you know, I take trips over to Texas and, you know, see what's going on over there. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, up to Memphis and out to the Carolinas. And, like, you know, it's all, it's funny because out here in California, everything's so spread out. You know, it's like you want to drive to Phoenix. It's like, what is it, three, four hours in the car. But, you know, in the South, everything, you know, if you're in New Orleans and you want to pop over to Austin, like, it's... No, I mean, what is it? It's like, it's like how, how many hours of drive is that? Like, it's... It's a, it's about six hours. Yeah, so it's yeah. Like less than a day. Yeah. And, like, I mean, and, you know, you keep going east, and, like, you're in Florida before you know it. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, so you can hop around and see all, like, the great cities where barbecue's happening without mm -hmm. really having to spend all that much time in the car, you know, and, and comparatively, at least, out here, it's like, you know, things, the distances get a little oh, crazy. Oh, yeah, and then but, it depends on what time of the day you're traveling, too. Yeah, yeah, in Los Angeles, <laughs> by the way, for everyone listening who may not be in Los Angeles, the caveat there is that, like, you, you know, for everywhere else in the country, wherever you're going, like, the number of miles away you are is the number of minutes away you are. It's like, oh, where are you going? I'm about 60 miles away. It's like, I'll be there in an hour. That is, that math does not work here. Like, we have, if you're going 10 miles, that's two hours. Like, yeah. you're not, like, you're, <laughs> the traffic here is, is otherworldly, man. It's, it's, it's a whole other thing. Uh, I'm on it every day, so. Where, so where do you live? What are you? I live out in Corona. So. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, so. I'm going to make you a smoker that you can just have, like, going while you're in traffic, and you can, like, <laughs> you can start a plate of spares when you start going somewhere, right. and you can eat when you get where you're going. Just connect it to my truck there and just <laughs> yeah. go. Man, so that's awesome. So, so you really started cooking, and that was your kind of yeah. initiation into barbecue. Yeah. Um, and when did you get into welding? So welding is, is a newer uh, passion of mine. I, I didn't start welding until... Um, I got probably within the last 10 years. Uh, really, I started it as a result of my other hobby, which is uh, four-wheel drive, like Jeeps. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been into Jeeps, again, since I was super little, and like they're just like the kind of do-it-yourself aspect of things where you just like oh you want to like put a new bumper on it's like just weld one and stick it on there it's like it, it just always appealed to me it's like it's like legos for grown-ups yeah know? <laughs> um and so i needed to find i needed to learn how to weld and i found um a friend of mine had a, had a welder in his backyard and here, here in the valley uh, in los angeles and i went over there it was like it was like one of those harbor freight welders that cost like 80 dollars uh -huh. and it was like the most day like when you pull the trigger, the only thing that would happen was that the wire would move or not move. Like, but it was always live. So if you set it down on anything where it was like the ground was, it would just start sparking and going nuts. <laughs> it was super dangerous. Do not recommend that. But uh, I, and this is my, uh, his name's Matt Hinckley. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for years. I, he will tell this story better than I will. But basically, I'm in his backyard. I got this crappy little Harbor Freight welder. At the time, I was literally like an accountant. I think I was like a bookkeeper for a nonprofit in, in downtown Los Angeles. And I was in his backyard on a Saturday. I put, the, put this little like cheapy Harbor Freight hood down, took the welder and stuck it up against a piece of metal, pulled the trigger, made probably the worst weld I've ever made in my life, <laughs> pulled the hood up and looked at him and said, this is what my life's about now. And it was true. Like a month later, I had quit the accounting job and was just hanging, I was like haunting this local metal shop that slash school here in Los Angeles called Molten Metalworks. And uh, I ended up being their first employee, ended up running the place there, teaching class, teaching welding, teaching wow. fabrication. Uh, and all the time, it's like, it's like I'm running this game where like my day job is like, okay, I'm teaching, I'm welding, I'm but like, and then at night I lay in bed and I think like, okay, but what, what, could, what else could I make like for myself? And it's, it, it was always, it was always fell into two categories, Jeep parts and barbecue. Yeah. Like the first thing I ever made was a set of fenders and the very next thing was a 55 gallon drum open pit. So uh, <laughs> it, that's kind of where it started. Um, yeah. And then, you know, while I was there, that's where I ran into Steve Vardazarian, uh, who ended up, you know, being a, a, instrumental in the foundation of FATSAC because basically, you know, he was a student um, and he came in to take a furniture class. And, you know, the furniture class for me at that point had been, it was, I enjoy what I did for a living, but it's like, if you've seen one person build a coffee table, you've seen a hundred people build a coffee table. You know, it's like not, it's not that exciting. But you know, I was a, a good sort of patient teacher and I was working, you know, and I was mm -hmm. going through with my students in the class and I was like, okay, what do you want to build? And you know, it's like, oh, I want to build a coffee table. Okay, great, show me your drawing. And we would and we'd get to the next person. And, oh, I want to build another coffee table. You know, it's just going down the line. It's like six students. And there's this guy down at the end of the line. I get to him, he's like, do you know what a reverse offset smoker is? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to be friends. <laughs> like, That's awesome. He, he basically just, he, he kind of just dove into it. He was like, he, he, haunt, he haunted Molten Metalworks. He was there so much for the next like three, four weeks that like his family came looking for him. Like he wasn't even at his job. He was just in there <laughs> welding. And he made a cool little like, uh, cool little like rectangular kind of one brisket smoker. Um, 
And then from there, he, he you know he was like, hey, you know, I got this space up in Sun Valley with a couple of propane tanks in it. You ever thought about you know making a Texas style pit? And I was like, no, but let's try it. And um, we built Leona. We built the yeah. Um, yeah, but built that he uh, he and I built that one together. Moose um, Moosecraft. Yeah, now yeah. now sitting behind uh, the Andrew's house and, yeah. and serving Moosecraft. Yeah. Um, and that was it, man. We put that thing up on Instagram, and all of a sudden, like ten people were like, "How much and when can I have one?" And that's that's it. That's that's the beginning. That's a cool class. I mean, so yeah. I mean, is that pretty normal? Is- so that actually, that business is is a cool concept. Um, yeah. And and it's the only one, to my knowledge, or one of the only ones in Los Angeles. It was definitely the first, and I think there are a few people around town doing something similar. But um, the guy named Matt Jones started it, and uh, it's it was a it was a great idea. Uh, basically, the concept is you know, a place like Los Angeles is it's so urban and it's so like packed like there's so many people living on top of each other nobody's got a backyard nobody's mm-hmm. got a garage mm-hmm. like so even if you know how to weld you don't have a place to go do it but the truth is most of us don't know how to weld either because we're all just city folk you know living in our ikea wonderland and and you know actually sticking metal together or doing anything that's like trades or, or craft oriented is it's just harder to access here yeah you know i mean and so he kind of started this thing, which was just like, you know, the classes are, are they, they range from basic to advanced, but they're all basically designed for people who have no background. It's not like a, a trade school where you go and it's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to be a certified structural welder who can, you know, run a bead in, you know, uh, 2F position with this thickness metal running on this process. Like, none of that technical stuff, because for most people who weld, especially like home DIY, is people who build their own barbecues, I think a lot of the times fall into this category. Like they don't need to know all that. Yeah. They need to know how to hook the ground clamp up, how to set up the wire and how to pull the trigger and make a good weld. And like, if you know that, then you can kind of mess around and play and, and get better on your own. And that's kind of the concept behind that. It's a, it's a cool, it's a cool shop. I was really lucky to be able to be a part of that place. So the first pit was when, what, what year was that? The 55 gallon drum was I think 2011, 2010, 2011. So that's you know coming up on ten years ago now, um, and then the and then Leona was, to, uh, I want to say April of 2017. Okay. So it's a couple years. So Leona was the first. Leona was the first propane tank pit. Propane yeah, tank. The first like OG Texas style pit. It's a beautiful pit too. That it really I mean, is, man. That turquoise. The yeah. turquoise is everyone loves the turquoise. Yeah. It's, it's and it's cool. I mean, it's you know, it's like this industrial paint color that you don't see on anything but like heavy equipment and propane tanks. But it kind of it just works really well with the rust and the patina and the rest of the metal. And you guys are doing uh, solely offsets, or are you doing some reverse flows also? And so yeah, we do. Um, we do offsets and reverse flow offsets. Those okay. are, you know, everything, basically the, the, the product line starts at, you know, a 24 inch uh, backyard smoker set up as a reverse flow. Actually, mm-hmm. it's, there is one in the shop um, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's an octagon shape. It's oh, yeah. all like CNC bent and laser cut. And those sizes are 24, 36 and 48 inch, kind of like the, the, the weekend warrior sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it moves from there up into the tanks. So we've got 120 gallon tank, 172 gallon tank, 250, 500, and 1,000. Uh, and those guys can be set up as, as reverse or standard. I generally try to steer people away from reverse on anything above 250 gallons. I kind of feel like it's a waste of money. I mean, they, my 500 gallon reverse cooks very well, but it's also not necessary. For me, reverse is a great, great thing to have if you have a small smoker. Because you know the whole the to my if you set it up properly, they both draw, they both hold temps, they both smoke great food. The difference really is you get the hot spot back on a reverse. Mm-hmm. You know if you've got that standard offset on a little 24 inch wide smoker, and let's say the hot spot's six inches, well you just lost a quarter of your space. Like that's you know how many, how, how much real estate did you just give away? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've got eight feet of great space on a 500 you lose that six inches at the end, it's not gonna kill you. You know, it's like, you're probably just gonna put a water pan there anyway, so. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm personally kind of partial to the reverse flow. I love the, I love the kind of science and physics behind a, uh, a chimney sort of being the motor that drives this sort of, you know, induction of hot gas and smoke through a chamber. And, it, and it, it's really interesting how that works when you put a baffle plate in, it, it sort of changes the way the, the air moves. Um, and that fascinates me. I'm also fascinated by the sort of way that you can, you can speed up a brisket cook just ever so slightly and still get an absolutely outstanding piece of brisket off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the like my little reverse flows, you can pretty much set your watch that a, unless you're cooking like a big, you know, Barney Flintstone freaking, you know, 24 <laughs> pound, you know, one, like, <laughs> hashtag premier meats. Um, <laughs> 
man, Odie, have you seen some of those briskets? He's he's got you get briskets as like yeah, the size massive of a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he uh, now if you're cooking like a 15, 16 pound packer cut, like it's you can pretty much set your watch. It's done in eight hours. Yeah, and that's amazing. Like because on the bigger offsets, I mean that's you're looking at you know 10, 12, 14, 16 hours of cook time. You know it's fun playing with the fire, but eventually you got to go to bed. For those that don't know, can you kind of explain to us the difference between the two and? how the the flow works sure yeah so a standard offset smoker is a very simple concept Mm -hmm. that has a lot of different ways that it can be executed but essentially what you do is you take a fire and you build it in one place and then you take a bunch of meat and you put it somewhere near the fire offset horizontally from where from where the fire actually is so if the Mm -hmm. fire is sitting you know on one end of the smoker you could be something as simple as building a fire all the way down on one end of a pit and putting your meat all the way down on the other end of the pit basically so that since heat rises and goes straight up Mm -hmm. all the direct heat from the fire is away from the actual barbecue Um, the the texas style pit is based on propane tanks or pipe uh, and what it basically does is it, it builds the fire in one chamber, usually made out of a piece of pipe or half a propane tank. Mm-hmm. And then it, the, the cooking actually happens in a second propane tank that's attached and offset from the firebox. That's so basically the, the hot gas that's generated by the fire gets pulled from the firebox into the cook chamber and then basically over the meat and out of the cook chamber via the stack. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a linear flow. It kind of goes in one end and pops out the other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a standard offset. The reverse flow is a similar concept, except you take some sort of barrier, and usually it's like a piece of quarter inch plate or something, and you weld it in from the firebox end all the way, almost the, all the way down to the other end of the cook chamber, and you leave a little gap at the other end. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it does is it makes it so the air can't go straight through. It has to go under the plate and what you do is you take the chimney, the stack, and you you flip it around and you put it back on the same end of the smoker as the firebox mm-hmm. so that the hot gas then gets pulled around the baffle and gets sucked over the meat and out the chimney, now, which is now positioned over the firebox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what the, what the real advantage of that baffle is is that it takes away the hot spot. It takes away any, any kind of... Um, direct heat coming out of that firebox. Mm-hmm. Now you will get a little bit of radiant heat from the plate itself, and it's critically important that you put that plate in the right spot. Uh, if you put it too high, you can turn, you can make a brisket microwave. Ask me how I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, if you, if you put the baffle in too low, you run the risk of choking down the flow of air too much, mm-hmm. and that can do all kinds of wacky things to the temperature and, and the amount of smoke that's actually coming through and, and hitting the meat. Um, yeah. So it's the the thing with the reverse flow. I think it's it gets kind of a bad rap in some circles, especially I hate to say it, but like in Texas, I feel like a lot of people are a little suspicious of the reverse flow, which is cool. Like I'm, I'm all about you know everybody like being open to new ideas, but the the um, I think part of the reason why it gets a bad rap is it, it gets done poorly a lot. People who kind of don't know what they're doing just take a piece of plate and drop it in there and call it good, mm-hmm. and you can't really do that. Like there's there's more going on with the movement of the gas through the cooker mm-hmm. that, that you need to make sure that, that things are, are moving properly. And that, that requires a lot of design, R&D, uh, experimentation, and just test cooking, which is something we do a lot of here at the shop. Yeah, I mean, one of the top 50s, Evie Mays, swears by uh, reverse flows. And they, you know, they build them and, and there you go. Yeah, and send it's, them out it's a real thing. But it's yeah, a, you can, I mean, and I, I still, for, to my, for my money, the best brisket I've ever actually eaten off of uh, any barbecue was made off of an octagon shape reverse flow like that I made like I mean which I guess you'd say oh no you made it you have, you're biased but like it it was unbelievable it yeah. was it was I mean and you know you know look there's there's such a thing as it's possibly getting lucky on that you know once in a while but yeah. I think the the results are pretty consistent on these things yeah it's it's kind of like hitting a hole in one in the golf course <laughs> and you're the only one there yeah. yep damn it mm-hmm. yeah so there's also a question about insulated boxes and not insulated boxes. How do you feel about that? Do you do insulated? We do it. Yeah, it's an option. Um, uh-huh. It's funny because there's so many different ways that you can affect how a cooker performs mm-hmm. by changing this variable or that. That it's insulated boxes for me are they're. Um, it's it's like it's, people love to like argue their their point one way or the other. Oh, I swear by this, or I won't ever touch that. And it's mm-hmm. you know the truth is like for my money, if you're in Southern California, the temperature is just never cold enough to warrant the added insulation of an insulated box. Um, mm-hmm. Furthermore, 
I find that insulated boxes tend they tend to work better on the bigger smokers. Like a thousand gallon pit, I would say I'm like fifty one forty nine on making it insulated. But again, in California, not so much because if it's seventy degrees outside, you don't need an insulated box. Mm -hmm. If it's forty degrees outside, now we're starting to talk about something where you know the added heat loss through the skin of the firebox is going to make it so you might have to start using extra fuel. But again, the the payoff is I don't really feel is ever worth it um, unless you get up to those big sizes. So certainly, when on the smaller smokers, two fifties, one twenties, something, it just feels like you're it feels feels like overkill. And in some cases, I've seen smokers where it's hard to keep the cooking temperature down inside the chamber because you're not losing enough heat through the skin of the firebox. You, you yeah. essentially made a smoker that's too efficient, um, which is something that kind of blows people's minds because I think a lot of people who come. And, and, and check out fat stacks or check out any like offset stick burner basically and a stick burner you know just being a, a smoker that's designed to burn actual live wood fire as opposed to coals right uh, is is this kind of thing where like they're used to a cabinet smoker or a, a big green egg you know and like mm -hmm. big green egg is basically just a big chunk of ref refractive material it's like fully insulated and they're kind of like there's no insulation on this thing why, why don't you insulate it it's like um, because the coal bed is 1700 degrees Fahrenheit and we're trying to cook it too 275. You don't want this thing to be that efficient. Trust me. Uh, if you know, you get that fire going, ripping hot, and you're gonna have just you're gonna be going crazy inside that cook chamber. It's gonna be hard to keep things keep things to a dull roar. Uh, it's actually good to lose some of that heat, and that was actually the the inspiration for our, our sort of famous you know griddle top firebox, which everyone goes nuts for. It's yeah. Like, and this this again was like kind of a happy accident. You know, we we tried to fit a stack on, on a reverse flow on top of a traditional 288 gallon tank and we just there was no room to put the intake and i just you know took out my plasma cutter and i was like well i'll make room and i just zapped the top of it off and took a piece of flat plate and stuck it on there well we went to test cook on it we took an infrared thermometer and pointed it at the plate and it was like 650 degrees and i'm like that's steak temperature right there like that's like a perfect griddle so i was like ever since then that was the, 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 the and, and again like it's, if you think about it like you're losing heat by heating that piece of plate up to 650 degrees. Like it's, in a, it's an inefficient design, but because it's inefficient, you're actually allowing the cook chamber to sort of keep, you know, keep things a little bit cooler mm -hmm. through, like even on the firebox end, even on the, the, the spot where it's traditionally it's like too hot to cook. Um, we found we've kind of struck a pretty sweet balance of like having just enough heat loss through the skin of the firebox to keep things going the way you want, want them inside the smoker. So adding insulation to that can be it can be a little bit of a, a, a dicey proposition because you, you, you might over-insulate it, make it too efficient, and remove that benefit. Basically make it harder to maintain those temperatures without running much smaller size fuel. Because that mm -hmm. gets into a whole other discussion about how big the splits are, how long are you cutting them, how far are you splitting them down. Like, the, 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 the secret magic art to a stick burner is in the fuel. It's actually like, it's in the sticks. Like you gotta know what size, basically based on what size your cooker is, what size your firebox is, like how big of a coal bed can I run? And so based on that, how big of a piece of wood can I put on that coal bed and still have it burn cleanly? Because of course that's everything, right? If you, if you start getting dirty smoke, it's right. you're, you're, it's game over mostly. So it's trial and error? Or it's a lot of trial and error, man. You just gotta stand there playing with the fire for a lot of hours. Yeah. Um, which, you know, good thing for me, I'm a pyromaniac and you know, playing with <laughs> fire happens to be my specialty. Yeah. Um, so walk us through the process of these, uh, these, I mean, we're sitting right next to one of these decommissioned tanks. Are they easy to find? How do you prepare them? <laughs> well, uh, the answer to the first question is, you know, yes, no, and maybe so. Uh, yeah. they're, the thing about these propane tanks is, it's, it's funny because they're incredibly valuable right now. Mm -hmm. um, thanks to uh, some decisions that have been made vis-a-vis -vis our trade policies at a national level. Um, steel is crazy expensive right now, mm -hmm. which means it, that kind of has this, this like sort of trickle down effect on everybody, in, all the way down to the scrap level, right? Every, uh, prices go up for everything, which means these propane companies that use these tanks for residential service and commercial service, they're they're trying not to get rid of the tanks right now. So they're they're, they're repurposing things and and maybe in some cases doing things that are maybe even a little squiffy with the safety side of things, like to keep these tanks in service to avoid having to buy new ones because new ones are very expensive. Mm -hmm. A new a new five hundred gallon propane tank you can spend two, three thousand dollars on just the tank. Mm. But as soon as it fails the test, and, and the Department of Transportation is, is the agency responsible for determining whether these tanks pass muster and are allowed to continue to hold propane or if they're, they become scrap. And as soon as it fails the test, it goes from being a three thousand dollar item to something that's worth like five cents a pound. Like it's, it, it's, it's bizarre, it, you know, and so, so you, you have this situation where 
there are like there are some people out there who are basically scrap dealers who are kind of prospecting for lack of a better word. They're sort of running around trying to find these tanks the minute they get they failed a test and try to buy them for rock bottom prices and then take them and turn them around and wait for the scrap prices of steel in general to go up a little bit mm -hmm. and then make the money that is the difference between what they paid and what they sell them for. And then you've got guys in propane yards who are just like, I can't use this thing. It's now a 1200 pound paperweight sitting out in my yard. We, can you just come take it? Like, <laughs> like yeah. so, so I've seen them everywhere from I've got you know, local dealers who I, who I work with who will come and actually drop them off and, and, and the prices are extremely reasonable, mm -hmm. all the way to I got to drive out, you know, four hours into the desert and go to some crazy place where there's like wild dogs running around and like it looks like something out of a Mad Max movie and I got to <laughs> haggle with some super interesting characters to see what they've got. And it's like, you know, I mean, half these people don't even have cell phones and if they do have a cell phone, they can't take a picture on it. So it's like, you know, I mean, who doesn't, who drives out anywhere to go look at something now? It's like, yo, take a picture on your phone and send it to me. No, no. You like, you got to get in your car and go to the middle of Arizona Jeez. desert. And it, it, so, so, so sometimes they're super easy to find, and sometimes, man, it's an adventure. Like it can kind of be half the half the battle is just going out and finding the right tank. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing is that we don't use just any tank. I have not only a certain form factor, size, and style I like to use, but I'm looking for a specific wall thickness, and I'm looking for a specific age range on the tanks. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm, I'm pretty picky about what I'll actually use, which makes it a little bit more, di more difficult, because I'll get sometimes, I mean, sometimes I'll, I, people will call me up because they know I look for tanks now, yeah. and they'll cold call me, and hey, I got this tank, and there are three or four of them sitting in my yard, and, and I go look at them, and you know, unfortunately, as welding technology and, and manufacturing processes get better and more automated, what these propane tank people are realizing is they can use thinner and thinner metal and make the same strength tank, which is great if you're a propane company because you save money on your manufacturing, but it sucks if you're going to use the tank for barbecue because right. we got it. We, we want them thicker because thicker holds heat better, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's it's we, you know it can be a bit of a challenge to find just the right tank. We gotta we gotta really kind of you know. What's the average thickness of them? So the the 288 and 500 gallon tanks tend to start at quarter inch and go mm -hmm. up from there. Um, if you find a, a, a real peach that's from like the 50s um, and older, they, they can they can be up to three eighths, um, which is man. If I, I actually there's one of them that I got to go pick up next week that I, it's supposed to be a three eighths 500. And when I find those, I'm just like kid in a candy store, man. I'm so <laughs> excited because it's like there's uh, there's the thickest tank we've ever cut into was a, a thousand gallon tank that is now being used by Pearl's Barbecue in downtown LA. And have you have you seen their pit yet? Have you gone? I down haven't yet. It? That's one of the ones that's on my list. To, yeah, it's to go see. I, it's it's a beautiful rig, and I, I'm I'm like I will forever just be in love with that that pit. It, it, it was. I will never forget cutting into that tank because, you know, the thousand gallons are supposed to be about three eighths ish. They can be, you know, a few thousands either way. Uh -huh. And uh, I was cutting and, and I remember when I when I unloaded, I put the, this tank on the forklift and unloaded it. Uh, I had this like 3000 pound forklift and I've tried to pull this tank and the tank should be about 2400 ish pounds. Mm -hmm. And I went to pick this tank and my back wheels, my forklift went up and I was oh. like, what am I working with here? This thing is, is it full? Like what's happening? It's like, no, it's empty. It's, valves were off and everything. So when I finally went to go cut into it, I have a, um, a little, I think it's a 50 amp plasma cutter. It's, you know, plenty for just about everything I do here. And I'm starting to try to cut the doors and it won't cut. And I'm thinking, ah, my plasma cutter's broken. Man, that's a bummer. I gotta go take it in. And so I, I switched to the grinding wheel and I get the, you know, get the cutting discs out on the grinder. And I, I must have gone through, you know, 15, 14, 15 discs just cutting the first door. And when it dropped in, the sound that it made was like the sound. It's like, you know, like the movies when like they're cracking a safe at a bank and the, they like blow the door off the hinges and it makes that <laughs> boom sound when it hits. That's the sound this door made when it fell into the smoker. And I was like, what am I working with? And I looked at it. I took a set of calipers and it was uh, 0.525. It was over a half inch thick. Um, that's the only tank I've ever seen that, that, that topped a half inch wall thickness. But uh, each door weighs 117 pounds. And there's no counterweights. It's, it's wow. just all shoulder workout to get into that guy. Which one is that one? That's Pearls. That's Pearls? Yeah. They're in, uh, now they're in I have system. to go see. You got to go check sure. it out. It's a beautiful pit. It's, uh, I'm, yeah. I, uh, Steve tried to buy it back from Pearls. Oh, like, did he? When, when it, yeah, he was so excited about it. He offered the guy like twice his money to just take it back from him. And the guy was like, nope. <laughs> no sale. <laughs> this is coming with me. That's awesome. Yeah, you hear all these stories about the danger of cutting into these things and kind of prepping them. And yeah, well, yeah. What, what's the kind of process that you take? And 
So, oh man, I'm hesitant, hesitant to even talk about this because it's like, I don't, I don't, my advice to anyone who wants to cut into a tank is don't do it. Like, yeah. these things hold flammable explosive gas, so you just don't want to mess with it unless you know what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. and, and even then, there's a risk. You know, it's like, what we do here is potentially risky every time. And yeah. um, the process is basically, it, you have to make sure the tank is empty. Um, and there's, there's a couple different ways to do that. Uh, the most common is, is flaring it down. Um, basically, you, there's a, something called a pigtail. It's like a big copper, big piece of copper tubing with a fitting on the end. Mm-hmm. And you thread it onto to the outlet valve of the tank, and you crack the valve, and you'll hear it. If there's any pressure inside the tank, then it doesn't necessarily mean there's gas in there because these tanks can be pressurized. In fact, they have to be pressurized even when they're empty. If they if they ever become depressurized, that means air gets into them and mm-hmm. they will fail their test. They'll actually stop being useful because air gets in and all of a sudden you can start rusting and it's like, you know, rust from the inside out and corrodes the tank. But um, though that's not always necessarily observed. And like I said, people are doing some squiffy things these days to keep tanks in service. But mm-hmm. basically when you crack that valve, uh, gas is going to start hissing out and you take a blowtorch and you light the end of the pigtail, which by the way, that's an, that's an act of faith right there. <laughs> you open a propane tank and light gas coming out of it. But it basically, what it, the way it works is- I would have probably run at that point. To, to, the first time I did it was, uh, that's, what I call a, that's what I call a full pucker moment, you know? Uh, yeah, you're, you're in a, it's a, you know, but you light, you light it and, uh, and if there's any pressure in the tank, basically there'll be like a little flame, kind of like the JFK eternal plant, just, one, just, it'll, yeah. just it'll just go. And it'll, it, it'll go until the pressure in the tank drops to the point where it can't sustain a flame, which is actually like well below the explosive limit. Like you're at that point, like there's not enough in there to, to, to blow up. Um, right. But that's not the point at which I cut it. We have a whole secondary process mm-hmm. that involves flushing the tank out and basically making dead certain that there's no flammable gas inside before we make our first cut. Um, and in fact, we burn out, we burn out after that process, we burn out our tanks. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the new sort of patina look that everyone's kind of going crazy yep. for. That's that's a result of our burn-off process. We actually take the tanks and we heat them up um, to a crazy high temperature for like nine hours. Uh, and it burns off all the paint on the outside, but it also burns off all of the um, residual mercaptan on the inside of the tank. And I'm sure you've uh, smelled the mercaptan funk that is like, it's what natural gas and propane smells like. When, when people smell it, they think, oh, that's propane. But actually, like, you're not, propane doesn't smell like anything. Mercaptan, which is this kind of sulfurous, gooey residue that they put inside the gas to warn people that they're smelling gas, that's what stinks. And if you have ever cut into a tank that hasn't been burned out, like, the funk that comes out of that, like, when that door drops, is like, yeah, that is, that's about the grossest thing. I mean, it's it's not cool. So the burn-off process both removes all of that and removes all the paint, and then finally makes them totally inert and safe to cut into. And so all of them are custom. I mean, the, yeah. every, you're not doing a cookie-cutter um, right. process here. Are there any, like, custom pits that you've done that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, what I like to say is every pit we build here is a violin. I mean, it's like they're just, there's no, there, there aren't form factors, like, my 500 gallon tanks generally are about a certain diameter and a certain length so I can, there's things I can pre-plan mm-hmm. trailer length and so forth and you know boring stuff like that but when it comes to actually building the smoker each one is its own experience you know Anyone who's ever tried to make a smoker can tell you, as soon as you cut those doors out, <laughs> they don't stay the same shape as they were before you cut them. And, and it's always different. They will move to varying degrees in different ways. And that's just the doors. Like every, every single part of these smokers, like, you know, you don't know how long this steel has been in service. You actually don't even know what kind of steel it is. Like what's the carbon content and the actual metallurgy. It's changed over the decades as materials, prices, and technologies have kind of all combined to make this, this sort of ever-changing process. So each one of these things is definitely very custom. Um, yeah. And so I kind of, the short answer is I think all of them are kind of my favorite because they are all very custom. But if, if I had to pick one that sort of stands out in terms of just like eye candy customization, it would probably be Burt's, uh, yeah. uh, Trudy's Underground Barbecue. That's a, that's a 750. You've seen, yeah, you saw that one, right? Yeah, is it the one that that, uh, that has the white walls in yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's got, so it's got the teardrop fenders and the, yeah. white, and the white walls and the, the vintage Baby Moon rims. I mean, that's Beautiful, just... Beautiful, yeah. And, and the cool thing about that tank um, is is that was actually a thousand gallon tank. Um, you, they don't really make 750 gallon propane tanks. I mean, mm-hmm. they do, but it's so rare that it's my, they might as well not. Like most of the propane people I talk to say they, they'll see one every 10 years, you know? Yeah. So if I ever do see one, I'm gonna buy it immediately and I mean, turn it into a 750 because it's a cool size. But um, what I do for a 750 is I, I take a thousand gallon and I torch the end cap off 
uh, and then I cut about, I think it was about 40 inches or so out of the, out of the wall of the tank. And then I re-weld the cap back on and now make it a shorter 750 gallon tank, yeah. which fun fact, my 750s are actually like 850 gallons. Cause I, I cut them as though the end caps don't hold volume, but the end caps do obviously have volume. They just don't put meat in them. Right. Um, but yeah, so that thing with the three doors and the, and the, the vintage patina and everything, that's, I think that's probably, cause uh, did you see his firebox door? He's got like the meat cleaver handles yeah. and the, a railroad tied. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All that stuff is, that's just super fun to play with that stuff. Yeah. That was when I went to his, it was a backyard, you know, and yeah. I went and got in Studio some, City. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, you know, first time seeing white walls on a pit and it was, it was just really cool. Such a cool box. And I saw a fat stack on there yeah. and I'm like, man, this is, this is a nice pit. You know, I've always been interested in a lot of the different pits. Every time I go to a restaurant, I, I always want to go see the pit and want to know the name and all of yeah, that too. Yeah. The California underground scene is, is like blowing up big time right now. Yeah. Um, you guys are a huge part of that. And, um, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the businesses that you've, um, that you've supplied pits for? I know we talked about Trudy's and Moose. I saw Barbacoa Boys. Yeah, the Be- 500. Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. That's a beautiful pit. They got the too. deluxe model, yeah, with yeah. the high temp paint and all the extra goodies on the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, you know, we've, we've worked with a ton of uh, really great people out here. I'm, I'm super fortunate. I, I get to meet some of the coolest people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you got people like the Barbacoa Boys, obviously Moose and Trudy's. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the thing is, like, and um, like Alex Paredes down the offset down in Anaheim. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, there's, God, there's, there's so many at this point. That I could, I could sit here and probably just list them off all day. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's interesting to me, like, the speed with which the, the Texas style barbecue sort of movement is is picking up steam, because mm-hmm. um, it really went from kind of being nothing to now just being everything. Like, and, yeah. and I would I would like to flatter myself and think that I'm a part of that, but like really, I just kind of feel like it's Fat Stack is just good timing. Like yeah. we kind of we just sort of showed up at a time and place when things were really starting to catch fire. Pardon the pun, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's something to there's something to the kind of aesthetic of a, of a barbecue pit a properly built barbecue pit it's they they really are these kind of like post-industrial works of sculpture um and then each one has its like they they of course like they have this like emotional sort of res- like response built like you see one and you feel a certain way and it's funny like a lot of these guys running pop-ups um i forget who it was i was talking to but he said you know he was he was doing his pop-ups with his pit and he was had you know average revenue sales or whatever you know of people showing up and, and buying his barbecue and then he did one where he didn't have his pit present he still had the tent still had the sign and was still serving the same food that got cooked on that pit but mm-hmm. the pit just the f- pit wasn't physically there mm-hmm. and he said his revenue was like half like like half the people didn't show up and it's like that makes sense to me like yeah. i don't know about you man but if i see a pit like this sitting by the side of the road i am going to stop like yeah. i have to see what's up like yeah. and it's funny even driving these around because of course we have to do a lot of test drives and stuff you know, every time there's a new trailer configuration i got to mm-hmm. make sure the vehicle dynamics are right and it handles properly on the road and it's safe and all that so there's a lot of test driving and riding around on the freeways and stopping at gas stations and stuff and i it's the looks i've had people like you know stop me and wave me down at a red light and they're like hey what, what, what is that thing how do i get one and i'm like i was like instagram fat stacks you know yelling out the window uh you know people stop at gas stations they want to take pictures with them it's like and it really i think it gets back to that sense of community that barbecue really is all about like these things are basically these icons and emblems of a larger barbecue tradition and experience that so many of us identify with immediately on a gut level like you don't even it's not even like it's just a feeling that you have because of your association with the craft and with the experience of barbecue i think because it is such a communal experience and because Mm -hmm. it is so like such a social and oftentimes like family oriented situation where you know it's a gathering point for many different people from many different walks of life to kind of come together and like have this shared food experience which is also like it's kind of like this ancient and very human ritual of like gathering together and like serving food communally you know they're like yeah. that we just I, people flock to it and and these things are basically rolling icons that sort of hearken that the, those feelings yeah so it's like they, they really do draw their own sort of crowd and and you know in moving here we didn't really have a whole lot of any of the Santa Maria style pits you know and now in Texas, you see them starting to, sp- 
to come mm. up, you know, in a lot of different, a lot of different places. I know um, when I was at Evie Mays last time, they were making one, and uh, my buddy Brett Boren at Brett's sure. Backyard Barbecue, he just ordered one from them. Yeah, and it, it's just kind of starting to spread yeah. over there in yeah. California. It's it's been here. We're you know it's we're bleeding into each other. Yeah, what's happening. There's Texas. A little, Texas is getting a little more California, and California's getting a little more Texas. We're just closing the gap. Right? Yeah, and that's <laughs> why it was interesting for me. That was one of my questions for you was are you guys do you make santa maria style and then i walk in and sure enough you're working on one that's <laughs> Shh, no no there's no there's no santa maria's <laughs> okay, here we okay. don't, we're not working there's, there's no there's, uh, views expressed on this podcast may not reflect that fast tax uh no you know no, i'm fascinated by santa maria yeah uh, you know actually what the larger the larger fascination of mine has always been like and again maybe it's just this like the way that barbecue is kind of a universally human experience yeah. but like how different cultures in in different parts of the planet over different periods of time have all kind of arrived at this same conclusion that like there's like the way there's like a specific way to combine like fire and animal proteins <laughs> exactly. to create this like amazing experience and the santa maria is of course like california it's california classic right like it's yep. people you know when i first started making barbecues and i was telling people oh no it's a texas style barbecue people out here were like what so it's like a santa maria like do you do tri-tip i'm like no <laughs> no it's brisket and it's, it's offset but they don't they don't really they didn't really get it out here because out here especially if you, i don't know if you've had, driven up like santa barbara or gone up to ohio or those places up there i like, haven't yet no man it is just it's all tri-tip yeah okay and it's funny because like they're they're like special santa maria style rub that they're like super secretive about it's like it's like you fools are just using salt and pepper like you're you know you're doing the same thing they're doing in texas right like this is the but but basically they're doing tri-tip um and they're doing it on a, on a pit for those of you who don't know what a santa maria is basically it's a pit that um takes elements of like the argentine and like brazilian asado uh style grill that like basically where you have a great um, that can be raised and lowered so you can you can uh, sometimes you'll have like a braseo on one side where you can like move coals under the rest of the pit from the actual like burning fire and sometimes you'll actually just have the fire burning on the bottom of the pit mm -hmm. but you can raise and lower the, the 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 surface on which the meat's being cooked and effectively change the temperature so you can get, you can make it anything from direct fire all the way up to like low and slow yeah um just by changing the altitude of the of the cooking grate and when i first started building pits you know i i was fascinated by the texas off offset fascinated by the reverse santa maria to me like it was always kind of like ah eh, you know i mean i get it but it wasn't it didn't, I didn't really like, I, it, I, I didn't like kind of fall in love with the style right away, but mm -hmm. the more, I, the more I've played with them, the more I've experienced them, the more I've really come to just think it's like, it's just a, I mean, it, it's just a really cool way to cook. Cause it is, yeah. it, it's even more ancient than like an offset. Cause it is literally like you, I could imagine someone taking, you know, green saplings and lashing them together and making a, a, a structure that you could hang a pig carcass from you know, three feet above a coal bed of hardwood coals that you've been burning for, you know, hours to get them to burn down. Like that, the lineage seems so much closer to me on a Santa Maria. Like it's like, it's just a steel version of that setup. Yeah, exactly. And that to me is like really cool. And I'm glad that's catching on. Cause it's like, you know, it, it is, they're very simple to build and very simple to use. So it's like, I feel like it should, you know, and, and hopefully if there's a way to make a Santa Maria that kind of can also do some other things where it functions more like a, almost like a Carolina style pig pit or like, you know, you could even have elements of like an offset, you know, per, perhaps uh, fat stack can develop some evil creation that can, uh, that yeah. can combine all those things. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know how barbecues evolving into you know you got this tex-mex and then yeah. you got the you know the bon Mies, you know yeah. john brotherton doing yep. and and blood brothers out in houston and you know there's all these different um techniques in just the evolution of barbecue it's starting to happen with the pits as well like you see these hybrid pits yeah like you know moberg has one also that, that built for also brett's you know yeah, Brett, yeah. brett's got the traditional offset he's got um, a hybrid that uh, Sonny Moberg made for him, and then now he's getting the Santa Maria. Yeah. That, and then he also built a, uh, a cinder block, you know, whole, yeah, whole Carolina whole style, yeah. yeah, brick pit. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool because it's not not like limited to. All right. Yeah. Everyone is is doing um, these propane tanks, but now there's like a lot of other stuff that's coming out as well. That's the cool thing about barbecue. Another neat thing about it is that like as an art form, as a culinary art form, it was never designed to be static, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, because it is very much like, a, 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 for lack of a better word, I guess like a populist cooking style. Like mm -hmm. it's from the ground up. It's from, you know, people, usually people who don't even like have a lot of means or resources like they they've got access to fire and some cut of meat that tastes terrible unless you cook 
it for 12 hours. Like that is like, but that's it. Like those are the raw ingredients. And then you, from there, it's just about like what you want to bring to it. And, and mm -hmm. the ways in which you can get creative with it are, are super fascinating. And, and, and it's really fun to watch how that's kind of all sort of merging and changing and shifting, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's that, 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 that is very exciting to me. Yeah, so talking about changing and shifting, so you guys started up in 2017, and now two years later, tell us how, how you've evolved. Man, it's been a crazy ride. Um, what, what we failed to estimate when we first, you know, when the first time I put the, you know, 500 gallon on my Instagram, which at the time was just my personal Instagram page, mm -hmm. it was just like, you know, I think I had like three photos on there. Uh, I figured, you know, well, who's gonna, who's got like, you know, ten grand to drop on a on a big giant smoker like this? Why would they, you know, it's like I should just make little ones, and that's what people can put, you know, people can buy, and put behind their house. What I what I didn't realize, of course, is like, you know, there just weren't very many people building them west of the Mississippi, right? And like they're heavy, so they cost a lot of money to ship. So all these people out here who were like kind of doing their thing on smaller pits, but had just been like kind of secretly dreaming about having a big, you know, five hundred gallon offset. As soon as they saw that Instagram post, all of a sudden, boom! There's this market of people like, "Hey, you know, what, you know, can, when can we have one?" You know, mm -hmm. and so it's been interesting to see, like, to interface with these people and see what their needs are and learn. You know, I, I've learned so much about barbecue as much as I've, I've learned as much about barbecue in the last two years as I probably had the ten years before it, and it's 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 a it's really a process mostly of like just every person I meet brings this like new perspective and, and information and a style and a history and a story that if you stop and pay attention to it, like you. <laughs> All right, Edgar, if you're around, you need to go to the office. I think, I think you're in trouble, man. I think, I think, I think you gotta go sit with the principal. Um, no, it's like these people, like they, they have taught me so much. And, you know, I, I brought like a, a fair amount of expertise in, in, in the craft of, of fabrication and metalwork. But I feel like the, the learning process for us has been really on the other side of it. Like, you know, trying to, trying to adapt to what people need and want and still make something that's true to the sort of form and function of, of a Texas style mm -hmm. barbecue. Um, that's been a that's been an interesting learning process. And were you making these out of your house, or did you? Um, so before the, the 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 first propane tank pit was actually made in the little a little garage stall size space that's at the other end of this building. That that basically was where Fat Stack lived for the first two years. And it, oh, really? Uh, yeah. We can walk over there. I can show you. You'll laugh when you see it because it, it is basically a, a long version of a one car garage so when i tell you that i have built a thousand gallon trailer pit in there and you look at it you'll be like where did you build a thousand gallon trailer pit in there or when i tell you that i built four or five hundred gallon smokers at one time in there like it's like again wow. where were how did you you know and we just recently were fortunate enough to find um two adjacent spaces in the same building uh knock out a wall and basically turn them into okay. a, a combo yeah space. i think i saw that on the instagram yep. the other day yeah so and that's, so this is all a new space this is brand new we we're, I mean, you can see like there's stuff we haven't even put away yet. Yeah. It's all this is this is all brand new. It's a pretty big spot. spot it's a big now. spot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's funny because you know people who like my neighbors in this building walk by and they and they see all the stuff that's in here. And it's like I basically filled this shop with tools and equipment. And they're like, where was all this stuff in the other space? And I'm like, <laughs> I was in there. <laughs> Think vertical. You know, and wow. like everything was stacked on stacked on top of each other. And if you look at my Instagram, you can usually see like any picture there'll be like a smoker in the foreground in the background there's just piles of like tools and materials and more tools and things just kind of stacked up on top of each other because there just wasn't a lot of room to work with but yeah. um but we're fortunate this is this is a much bigger space and a much better setup for us yeah yeah you're gonna be popping them out here that's the idea that's yeah. the idea you know turn them out faster what um what's your backlog right now what does it look uh, like we're hovering right around four months okay um although i think that might have just bumped up this morning actually but um yeah right it's right around three and a half four months i think okay and uh, what are the most popular pits that you're putting out 500 gallon the 500 gallon is the that's the flagship that's what everybody wants um and it makes sense you know if you're actually going to be selling food off of these mm -hmm. um it's the size that is going to basically return your investment the fastest because it it you, you hit this kind of sweet spot in terms of capacity like for every dollar that you spend to get your smoker you're going to end up with you know the x amount of room to potentially make money using your smoker and the 500 really is kind of like right in the right in the, the right in that sweet spot so um 500s and 250s probably are most popular but we do a bunch of little guys too there's little 150s and 110s and mm -hmm. um you know 
do you fire them up before you ship them out? Or? Yeah, yeah. So every pit that gets made here, uh, at a bare minimum, gets fired and seasoned, um, and usually a, a, undergoes a test cook of at least a rack of spare ribs. Okay. Um, and we do that just, you know, well, basically like any pit, any new configuration, if I haven't built a pit in a certain way before, I have to do a full test cook on it before it leaves. And when I say full test cook, I mean, I gotta basically have a, some kind of protein, usually something either beef rib or brisket related so I can test bark uh, and some kind of pork product in all of the major zones inside the smoker. So on a 500, let's say, there, I consider there to be three, three zones. There's like a left, right, left, middle, and right, and then there's left, middle, and right on the top rack. So I gotta put something in each of those spots to test the amount of smoke that's hitting the meat in that spot, the temperature in that spot, and like how things cook there. So we don't see a lot of new designs probably anymore. I think those, we, every now and then we do, and, and usually those are the test cooks where I'll try to invite as many people out as I can, because otherwise I end up with like, you know, 40 pounds of brisket, that what are you gonna do with it? It's like, you know. Damn, so. I wish I, I, know you should. I live closer. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I try to make those as public as I can on Instagram, and now I, now I send out emails as well. Yeah. Um, but, but at, at, a, at a bare minimum, nothing leaves here without getting fired and seasoned so that I can uh, test it for leaks and make sure the air is flowing properly through yeah. it. Uh, and the reason for that is that, well, there's a couple things. One, you know, you're spending all this money on a smoker. These things are not cheap, let's face it. Like, mm -hmm. you don't want, I don't want you to have the experience of, of picking this thing up, taking it back to your house, or I come out and deliver it. And you go to fire it up and run it, and the first thing you see is it's not drawing right. Or the first thing you see is it's got a huge leak and it's dripping oil everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's that's unacceptable to me. I, I I would be I would be furious if, if I if that happened to me. So yeah. I wouldn't allow something that leaves a shop like this to to have that. So that's one side of it. And the other side is you know um, seasoning seasoning the smokers is kind of like this. It's like a send off for this pit. Like these things take time and mm -hmm. energy, in some case blood and sweat and tears. You know to, to make like it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a kind of ritual to send these things off. You know like I want to make like you watch the fire burning in it and like make sure it's doing its job right and like. Now I know like this thing's ready to, especially on the bigger ones, like this thing's gonna go out and like, you don't even know how many people are gonna one day taste that first bite of fatty brisket, right? Mm -hmm. That like that life changing first bite of Texas style brisket that like, yeah. when it's like everything's just right and just, they just, it pops and, like you're across the entire tongue, your whole palate, like you just get every possible sensation that, that comes with this. And it's like, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what have I been eating all these years? Like this is bar like that to me, each 500 that leaves the shop, each every smoker that leaves the shop has the potential to do that for an unlimited number of people. And that's a really special thing to me that I take very seriously. Mm -hmm. So for me, the test cooks, like, it's almost like this kind of ritual, this rite of passage. Like, okay, you're ready to go out in the world now. You're ready to go out and, like, you know, change some people's lives. Nice. So they're ready to roll, man. As soon as they de they're yeah. delivered, they're ready to roll. Yeah. Well, as soon as, you, as soon as you come pick up your smoker, you can go build a fire in it and put meat on it. You do it to the small ones, too? or Yeah. Just Every single smoker that leaves here. Oh, nice. Is, is leave seasoned, yeah. How's the whole cleaning process? You, know? you mean, so you're talking about cleaning out the inside? Yeah, I mean, and how often should you clean them? Yeah. So it depends on the pit. Um, for in general my my prescription is always like as often as you can if you can do it every cook do it every cook mm -hmm. but that sometimes isn't practical especially if you're like a restaurant and you're running this thing you know one shift every day it's going to be hard to get in there and do a clean on it every single day but you basically you, the the whole deal with these pits is you want to make sure you're, there's no fat accumulation in the bottom because fat accumulation is ultimately the thing that's going to one potentially go rancid and create weird flavors and odors inside your smoker, and two, catch fire and cause a grease fire, which is an absolute no-no. Yeah. So with like a standard offset, like the tank pits, I would say, you know, at least like once every two, three cooks, you wanna try and clean it out. If you can do it every time, great. The way I set my offsets up, especially if it's on a trailer, um, basically there's a, an adjustable wheeled trailer jack on one end that if you drop it, it lowers the nose of the smoker where the drain is down below the other end and creates a, a sort of gradient where everything runs out. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people to do is basically, you know, after you're done cooking, pull all the food off, you know, you gotta rest your food, you gotta slice your food. There's a whole other thing, you know, there's there's stuff that takes time that's gonna mm -hmm. happen probably near the smoker. So what you do is you, you get a few splits and you build your fire back up, get it ripping nice and hot in there, you know, good 275, 300 degrees in the cook chamber. And then once it's nice and hot, you get in there with a, a high pressure garden hose or just a spray nozzle on a hose. Uh, and you, you basically start at the firebox end and you spray water all the way through it and let it all run out through the drain. Spray down the grates and scrape them off. If there's a lot of crud built up, you can do that. Although a lot of pitmasters I know don't even do that. They just let it kind of mm -hmm. build and they do it maybe once a month kind of thing. 
Um, but just as long as you're getting that fat out of there and making sure that that doesn't accumulate, like that's the big ticket item. The rest of it, if you want to get in there and like scrape out the gunk and whatever, like much less frequent. Um, it just depends how many times a week or month or year you're lighting your pit. But yeah. um, that's the big one for me is you got to make sure you, you get the get the grease out, which for reverse flow is actually, that's another huge argument for me for a, as a home user for reverse flow because my reverse flow smokers have, um, the baffle plates are designed, and a lot of people do this, um, surprising number don't, which I always find interesting, but um, they're designed with a slight gradient from end to end and a slight gradient toward the center of the baffle so that everything runs toward the middle of the baffle and runs toward the far end of the smoker where there's an inch and a half or inch and a quarter, depending on the size, uh, drain pipe welded right into the baffle. So the nice thing about the reverse flow is everything's dripping from the grates right down onto this baffle and then you just literally hose off the baffle and everything goes right out into a bucket and you can you know, dispose of it from wow, there. Uh, cool. And if you do need to scrape it because everything's collecting on the baffle, all you need is like a paint scraper and you just get in there and you just shoot the scraper down the baffle and you can just, it just comes right off. Um, it's super easy, yeah. Reverse flow for that is like, for home users, I kind of think it's hard to beat. Like I'm not, you know, just if I, if I can offer my pitch for uh, reverse flow smokers in there. I just, I love it. It's so easy to clean them. Like, yeah. you know, like tank pits can be a little bit, especially a tank pit on casters, like, because you can't adjust the level. So when you spray water in it, it might just sit right in the bottom. So then you got to get in there with like some kind of brush or a mop and push everything out the drain. And that can be a real, you know, headache. yeah. but you got to do it. Cause I don't know if you've ever seen a, a grease fire in a smoker, but Man, that's some scary stuff. You don't want to. You don't want to mess with that. Yeah, I've never seen one, but I've heard. I've they burn heard like crazy, and I mean, obviously it'll ruin your barbecue, but like also you don't want to burn down the you know pit room or building or house or whatever you got going. Do you cook a lot? You know, it's funny. I all of the cooking that I do now is basically test cooking. Just the test because I do so much of it that oh, yeah. I don't really do any barbecuing at home. Yeah. Um, I also for a for a long while um, I right pretty much what dovetailed with the start of fat stack i ended up moving i was in a place where i had a backyard where i actually actually had my smoker set up mm -hmm. and i moved into an apartment with no balcony or nothing it was just totally indoors so i actually couldn't do any I, i've just moved again and now I'm, I'm in a place with an outdoor space so i can i can start doing it again but i just i do so much cooking here yeah that honestly like that's pretty much where i'm and like especially if i want to try some a new recipe or something like perfect time to do it you know yeah like you're the doing smoker, your test, test cooking yeah, I saw on your website you have Barbecue 101. Are you going to do, start doing classes eventually? It's an idea. Uh -huh. um, I would love to include some kind of educational component, um, mm -hmm. either on the cooking side or honestly, like I, I would love if I could have the space for it and make it work. I would love to have like a fabrication side of it. Like, because, you know, the truth is like, again, these smokers cost a lot of money mm -hmm. and barbecue is often kind of a poor man's sport. And like, if you, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, but you have a propane tank sitting in your backyard, I get I get emails and DMs and, and questions from people like, hey, how do I build my own pit or whatever? And I'm not one to hoard industry secrets. I kind of feel like beyond like a few little touches, like most of this is pretty much public domain. Like, and I, and I want it to be. I want there to be like more good barbecue out there. So mm -hmm. I would love to actually be able to set up a space where I could, like if people like could bring their own tank or even if I could find nice cheap ones and you know, they could just buy them and you know, we could, we could walk through the process of building a pit together. Mm -hmm. So, so they could kind of, you know, have a pit they could take home probably at a much lower cost than if they had me build it for them. Um, but they're still, you know, kind of participating in the fat stack ecosystem and universe. Yeah. So, and yes, the, the short answer is how to barbecue and like how to use your smoker. I would love to set that up too. That's yeah. po possibly coming soon. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I'd, I'd love to check that out once you do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I want to do it mostly so I can get all the feedback from people on the internet telling me I don't know how to cook barbecue. I can't wait for that. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> You'll always get that. YouTube comments, man. <laughs> YouTube comments. That is, there is nothing better than a YouTube comment thread. It's just people People have opinions, and, yeah. they, and they need to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Uh, where do you see Fat Stack Smokers going in the next you know, four or five years? I mean, if I'm lucky, if I'm as lucky as I have been so far, mm -hmm. um, just more of the same, you know, doing yeah. what we're doing. I mean, hopefully, uh, even though the prospect of moving again sounds like something um, somewhat a fate worse than death at the moment, mm -hmm. um, probably because I just did it, <laughs> I would like to move into a bigger space, yeah. um, have it set up, you know, possibly with like a class classroom area, kind of a more um, conducive space to, to events and functions. Um, because these, you know, the test cooks have kind of become this thing that I'm, I'm getting a little bit known for as like a little kind of a party, you know, because mm -hmm. I do, it's funny, like, 
I, I'm not cooking all night on these things. I, I will serve brisket at dinner time, you know, I, which yeah. means I'll start off fire the pit at five, six in the morning, four or five, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like by the time mid-afternoon evening rolls around, like you'll be 30, 40 people standing around because they know what happens. And like someone always brings a cooler full of beer. And like the next thing you know, it's like Damn. we're here until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night standing around a junkyard drinking <laughs> beer and eating brisket. And like it's kind of turned into like a fun thing. And I, I would love it if, if we could sort of make that more formalized in a way that like, you know, in, even if it is like a class environment yeah. or even just like a promotional thing. It's just it's just cool for me. Again, it all comes back to community. It all comes back to bringing people together in this way that you know, there's this, there's this kind of thing where we all knew this stuff one day, like in the past, like some time ago, everyone knew <laughs> of what barbecue is about. Everyone knew what community eating and food sharing experiences are about. And like, I feel like we've somewhere we kind of lost it. Mm -hmm. we, 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 things became more isolated and prepackaged and TV dinnerized. And, and I feel like barbecue is a good way to start the conversation about how to bring it back to a place where it's like, you know, we're all humans and we're all gathering together for this like shared experience. Mm -hmm. And like what starts there can maybe go other places where we can start talking about, other, you know, you know, what's uh, the Anthony Bourdain quote? You know, I don't know if barbecue's the, the road to world peace, but it's a good start. It's or a something good like start. That. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like maybe there's it's just it's about getting people together, you know, because mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I feel like every time, no matter how different you feel from someone, no matter how what opinions they have, what opinions you have, like if you're in the same room and you, you listen to them and you learn their story, it's hard not to feel a kinship and a connection with them and like that's what that's what it's all about like it's you know it's, yeah we're all humans you that, know we're all on this planet together that's the reason why i started this podcast myself you know and uh, i'd listen to some of the other podcasts and i make those connections with yeah. some of these folks and i'm like man i can't wait to go eat there and meet yeah. them i feel like i know them you know? and it is just such a small world too mm -hmm. like it's it's funny, you know, like when, when Jeremy and I uh, were fortunate enough to go out to take a trip out to Austin and it's mm -hmm. like we're meeting all these people and it's like I'm like kind of weirdly like a little bit starstruck because I'm like, oh, it's like this Mueller family. All these people, like, that's Aaron Franklin. Like, and it's just like you meet people and they're just they're just the nicest. Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, come in. Do you want to like come in the back and see what's going on? And you're like, like, uh, do I need to sign a waiver? Like, is this, I feel like I'm, you know, it's, I'm in a celebrity's house. Uh, but it's but it's no. I mean, it's it's such a small, tight knit community, and it makes sense that everyone's like that friendly. Barbecue is is like family, man. Definitely. You know, one of the questions that I like to ask everybody that I interview is, um, tell us something about yourself, a little something about yourself that most people wouldn't know about you. Okay, well, gosh, where do I start? Um, I am a professionally trained comedian. Really? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I, I spent 10 years performing stand-up uh, in and around Los Angeles. Awesome. Yeah, there's actually, you can even find me if you, there's a YouTube video somewhere. I think it's from like 2009, um, but yeah. I love it, man. Yeah, do yeah. You still Do you still do any every now and again? I mean, you know, I annoy Matt with bad jokes while we're welding. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. No, I, you know, I haven't been on stage in a, in a long time. Um, something I've thought about a lot, though. I, I feel like there's a, for me, there's a, a social component of, you know, teaching or, or, or kind of, you know, even just like interfacing with customers, like, that's like, that feeds that. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of a, little, a little bit performative, a little bit, you know, um, kind of outward facing. And I feel like I kind of scratched that itch. Um, now that things are sort of now that I, I, I deal with more people, I mean, yeah. I, I, but I do, I do, uh, I do, do kind of miss it, you know. I miss, I, dude, miss the, I love comedy. I mean, yeah. I'm a big fan. Uh, I watch Crashing. I don't know if you've watched that. Yep. Show on yeah. HBO. No. It's just it's good stuff. Kind of gets gets you kind of the yeah. It's uh, it's good, man. Um, it's a hard, tough way to make a living. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I tell everyone, it's like, they, they're like, what does it take to be a stand-up comic? And I just say, above average intelligence and below average parents. That's <laughs> <laughs> the, the recipe. There you go. And uh, so you guys are just, how many, how many employees do you guys have? Um, right now, it's basically just uh, Matt and I um, kind of running the show. Um, you know, I'm in here. Uh, Matt? Yeah, Matt Turner. He's the, Matt Turner? the gentleman who's been doing stuff while we're over here working hanging out while talking. we're over yeah. here yeah <laughs> um yeah fun fact somebody's got it fun fact about matt uh i've known him since we were 10 really yeah we went to uh junior high and high school together back in michigan nice. and then uh in it 
in an uncoordinated, unplanned move, both ended up in Los Angeles. Uh, and I didn't even know he was out here for like 10 years. Does he do comedy also? I think he may have. I mean, he's funny. He's might be funnier than me, which will be cause for termination. If, uh, no, it's uh, no, he, yeah, we, he, we, you know, he knows where all the berries are bodied. I mean, because he buried them. That's, that's why. Oh, I had one more question. Yeah, shoot. Um, I saw the other day because I, I follow you guys pretty pretty religiously. There was a gal that was in a picture, and you said if you bought a fat stack, more than likely she's had something to do with it. Yep, her name is Thea Ulrich, and yeah. she is a total badass. Um, she's uh, got more. She's she's an artist first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Like, and her and her ability to like you know see things from a, like a design perspective. I mean, she literally went to. Uh, RISD, which I don't know if you know that school, but Rhode Island School of Design. It's like, it's like the fancy. It's like the best art school you can go to. Basically. Oh, okay. Um, they don't let a lot of people go there, uh, and she, so she's brilliant from a design standpoint. But she's also an expert welder and fabricator who has been called in uh, on a number of occasions where it's like I may or may not be super close to a deadline and I need to get something welded and built and <laughs> I don't know anybody else who can come in at 10 o'clock on a Friday night so um, she'll be in here you know welding grinding and putting stuff together and um, so she's kind of like she's had this like very large influence on a lot of the direction that that fat stack has taken and then a lot of and like I said almost every pit that's left here it's somewhere or another like ha- her fingerprints are on there yeah um, and you know, I, I I'm trying to get her more. She's she's very busy. She's got her own thing. She's yeah. you know she models and does aerial work and um and does. Yeah, her, I saw her website. She's it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, she's 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 so brilliant. Like it's I I you know I, half half the time I'm talking to her, I just feel like I'm just trying to nod and smile and you know make make sure nobody figures out that I don't know what she's even talking about half the time. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to I'm really just trying to get her more actively involved here because she's so cool and it's 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 just so fun to work with her. Well, um. Where can people find you guys on uh, on social media? Instagram at FatStackSmokers, Twitter at FatStackSmokers, Facebook.com slash FatStackSmokers, I think. Okay. Uh, and then our website, FatStackSmokers.com, okay. um, which I think was updated sometime in the last 18 months. So it's uh, badly in need of a <laughs> badly in need of an update. But yeah, social media, uh, Instagram, you can DM. Um, my phone number's on there. That's actually my number. So if you just want to prank call me or text me and sweet i'm there yeah maybe ask for a joke or something call and request a joke that'll be the new thing you <laughs> you just you, you have to venmo me five dollars and i'll tell you a joke yeah, yeah. that's gonna be my that's gonna be my new new plan so man i appreciate you taking the time to meet with me I, again Absolutely. i i am so impressed with all of your work the the past year and a half that i've been living here i've seen more and more of your work and it just keeps getting better thank you thank you we're I mean, I'm I'm very lucky to uh, to be doing something that I love this much. Yeah, and I'm I'm as excited as you are to see what comes next. Yeah, man. Well, well fantastic. I'll post um, the links to everything and, and even cool. uh, Thea. Is it Thea? Thea, yeah. Yeah, I'll put Thea's info on there too. Yeah, she's rad. Cool, man. Thanks again. Thank and, you. Uh, good luck to you on uh, on everything that you do and i look forward to hanging out with you guys a little bit more on on some of these cooks yeah yeah you gotta come have some brisket man (laughs) all right brother take care thanks again thank you bye thanks for tuning in to the i crush barbecue show remember if you like the show please subscribe leave us a comment and share with your friends You can always find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at iCrushBBQShow. Or email us at iCrushBBQShow at gmail.com. Don't forget to tag us with all your favorite picks. We'd love to see what you're crushing. Until next time, happy crushing. Happy crushing.